Today, Pastor Paul talks on the weapons needed to fight off sin, the putting to death of our old life, and committing to fully living our new life in Christ. If you have a, a Bible, which would be great, take out your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have an electronic device, go ahead and open that up as well to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let me tell you a story. It's a little story about an American pastor who was arrested in Turkey, Andrew Brunson. Andrew Brunson was arrested in October of 2016, and he was held as a political hostage for a little over two years. Pastor Brunson was... Okay. Pastor Brunson was accused of being linked with an organization that had links to the failed coup attempt of the Turkish president. And the people that they thought he was outlawed were the Kurdistan Workers Party. But most observers say that Pastor Brunson, what he was, was he was actually a political pawn used to help negotiate with, with some fighter jets that are going on. So he goes to jail and people make false accusations to him. He's arrested. And he goes to court in one time. This is in July of 2018. He's now been in jail for almost two years, a little over a year and a half. And at the trial, things didn't go well for him. They thought he was going to be released. Instead, they continued to reprimand him back into prison. And Branton still took the opportunity, while he is in a court in Turkey, to proclaim the gospel. Branson said, my faith teaches me to forgive So I forgive those who have testified against me. There was an American pastor who was at the court and and saw the whole thing. And the American pastor says this. He says, as usual, there was much superlious testimony against Andrew. His testimony powerful. He presented the gospel with confidence and he defended himself with boldness. In a Facebook post, Andrew's wife said this said that the Lord is absolutely glorified. He explained while he was here, he gave the gospel. He publicly forgave those who had come against him, forgiving him as much as he has been forgiven. A man who was wrongly imprisoned. And he was wrongly imprisoned as a political puppet, a political tool. She continues. And she says this about her husband. And this ties into our passage. She said... That brand privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. I am blessed as I suffer for him. Blessed as I am slandered. Blessed as I am being lied about. Blessed as I am being imprisoned. Blessed I am, I share in his suffering. I am incredibly proud of him, she says. I'm incredibly proud of him because of his attitude while he's in prison. That was in 2018, 2019. You know what? Things haven't changed in Turkey for 2,000 years. Different, different rulers, 2,000 years before that, Peter is writing to a cluster of churches in the general area of Turkey. In the general area of Turkey, persecution's coming. Things are going to get challenging. The church is being asked to live differently. Live in light of the living hope that they have. Live in light of, of the offer of, of forgiveness that Jesus gives instead of instead of the foolishness of the world. And when they do, the world puts them down and the world abuses them and the world lies about them and the world accuses them falsely of doing all kinds of things. The years in Turkey have been only separated by time, not by grace. 
This morning, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4. And in this passage, this powerful passage, this profound passage, there are some things that we could really dive into the wood. We're going to instead see that this is telling us that we've got two weapons that we need to, we need to brandish, we need to be on charge of. So let me read for you this passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, and then I will unpack it bit by bit. Peter writes, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in sensuality, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They, the world, the world is surprised that you don't join in them. In their reckless, wild living, they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind, so that so that you, and above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And if anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in everything and all things, God may be praised through Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. Peter starts this chapter. He starts off with the words, therefore. And so I'm going to remind us of what therefore is therefore, okay? Because we just pick it up and he says, therefore, he is referring back to something. One, he is referring back to the fact that therefore, because you revere Christ as Lord, because you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you have recognized the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And you lift him up and you acknowledge that he is just not another good teacher. You acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Not just an average, ordinary person, but he is Lord. And and he he has allowed you to have a relationship because of his death with God the Father. Through Christ the Son. Therefore, because you revere Jesus Christ as Lord. Because you revere him as Lord Because you know his love, his grace, and his forgiveness from chapter 3, verse 15. Because you are growing in the knowledge of the living hope that you have. In other words, you're not settled, you're you're not stalled. You are actively engaged in knowing and growing in the living hope that you have. Therefore, he says, 4, verse 1, arm yourself with this attitude. Arm yourself with this attitude. The word arm is a command. It's an imperative. It is put there. And Peter is saying to you and to me, arm yourself. And don't don't wait. Don't delay. But get ready. Be focused now. Be focused today. 
It's a decisive choice of action. Choose today what your attitude will be in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of strife. Choose today what your attitude will be in the midst of stuffing, suffering, struggles, and strife, as well as satisfaction. Some of you might be going through a good period of your life where, where you're not really struggling, you're not really in much strife, and the rest of us go, who's doing that? We want to know, right? But even in the midst of those good times, what is your attitude? Your attitude needs to be like Listen to, uh, there's a guy by the name of Chuck Sundahl. He was a pastor down here in Fullerton, and he's since moved up to Texas. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll says of this passage. He says, Peter's point is clear. Christ didn't send us into the world as vacationers on a self-guided tour of a playground. Isn't that the truth? I think that's what we long for, but no. We are soldiers on a tour of duty in the battleground. We are not called to kick back, relax, and take in the scenery and wait for our guide to take us home. We are engaged in a fierce conflict conflict on foreign soil. We need to arm ourselves with spiritual armor to a state world. Peter says if you have been confronted, if you have been conformed to Christ's death and resurrection, the power of sin has been broken. Amen. Because the old person you used to be has died with Christ, and you are now free to live with Christ. Church, that's powerful. That's profound. The old person has died. Those old things no longer have power over you. And, and, and now you are alive in Christ. And that's what this weapon is about. That's what this idea, that's what we need to fight. We need to arm ourselves. We need to be prepared for the battle of holiness. One person once said, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Can you imagine a soldier going into the battlefield dressed like I'm dressed? And going against the enemies, going against, going out there and, and saying, oh, I don't have a gun, I don't even have a shield, I have no protection on me. That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? As a soldier, what would happen to that soldier? He'd be dead, he'd be killed, he'd be slaughtered. And yet we walk every day, every day we walk into a spiritual battleground. And how many times do we actually go engaged, prepared, dressed, ready to, to defeat the already defeated enemy? Be forewarned and forearmed. So you have two weapons that we're going to emphasize here in 1 Peter. One is you need to commit to putting to death the old life you used to live. To commit to putting to death the old life you used to live. Some of you have some dramatic testimonies. Some of you have some testimonies about things that you used to do before you were a Christian. Ways that you used to think. Actions that you used to do. Beliefs and values that you used to have. And, and we need to... Put them to death. We need to have the attitude of Christ. See, stop digging up the old bones of death. Look at what he says. For you have spent enough time. In other words, stop. Stop doing it. You have spent enough time. It is over with. Don't live in the way that you used to live. Stop doing it. And what you used to do in the past, the way you used to live, the way the pagans did it, they, they are surprised that you don't join them. In other words, you finally stopped. And the pagans are surprised that you don't join them in the reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. In other words, he's going to get to you. There's peer pressure. There's pressure from your family and your neighbors to, to live a life of reckless abandon. Amy and I have multiple people over at our house. A couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, we had our neighbors over for our house. 
And she's looking at me, what story are you going to tell? And this is about Miguel. And we had neighbors over at our house, and I think it was for Thanksgiving. And we had other college, what? It was for Easter. We had other college students over at our house for an Easter meal. And Miguel and his wife, um, a couple of years before that, we went to their house for a Christmas Eve tamale making thing. And, and Miguel thought he had a lot of fun because Miguel was slouched by the time he got done. He was drunk. He loves to party and he loves to get drunk. And he thinks that's the idea of having fun. And so he came to our house and, and we didn't drink for Easter. We didn't have a lot of oh, alcohol flowing in our system. And you know what? He found our party really boring. Not only did I find our partying really boring, he thought you college students were really boring. He thought that the whole entire event was just, was just flat and boring. And, and so then Miguel then starts to talk to our other neighbors about how boring our party parties are. Isn't that a bummer? Now imagine if we were subjected to peer pressure. If in order to trade, in order to commune, in order to, to survive, we had crops and they had some crops and we wanted to get some fruit and they had some vegetables. And imagine you lived in a time into which you wanted to deal and to trade and to barter with your neighbors, but your neighbors said, yo, you're boring, you're, you're, you're no fun. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to give all my vegetables and stuff to somebody who's, who's much more fun. I like to party with them. Bring on some sufferings because your daily needs wouldn't be met. Peter's writing to people who life would be like that. Their needs wouldn't be met. Listen to what Jesus says. Actually, the Apostle Paul says first, For we are those who have died to sin. How longer? Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live uh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who, who did what? Who loves me and gave himself for me. So, so you have died to sin, and you have been crucified with Christ, right? Is there anybody here who has died to sin and been crucified with Christ? Let's see you raise your hands. Okay. All of you, right? Listen to, what Pete, listen to what Jesus says. This is leading to the point that you've got to keep those dead things, those dead ways of life buried. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They must take up their cross daily. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Every morning, you've got a choice to make. What is your attitude going to be about those people who are lost? You who are saved, how are you going to interact with them? How are you going to interact with those who are saved and those who are lost? Are you going to crucify your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes with Christ? Every single day, whoever wants to be myself must deny themselves, take up their cross. How often? Weekly? Once a week, you come into church, and that's when you take up your cross. Great. I sang about the cross. I'm good. Is that what the text says? Every single week you must come. Some of you aren't faithful to being here every week. You come every three weeks. Oh, once a month I come to the church. It's communion. Oh, great. I'm fine. I'm good. Is that what it says? It says every single day, take up their cross daily and follow me. It means in the morning, you're going to have a choice. This morning, are you going to pick up your cross and are you going to carry that weapon of suffering with you all day long knowing that Christ has been crucified for you? There are three old bones that Jesus, I mean, that Peter says need to be crucified every single day. Are you ready? Here's one of them. Sensuality. The word sensuality has about it the idea of lack of control sexually. The term was used almost exclusively towards lewd sex. It kind of describes whatever is on TV today. 
commercials, whatever is on the internet. You see these things and, and there's a little banner of a bikini-clad woman trying to sell soap. Well, what, what does Dawn soap have to do with a bikini, bikini-clad woman? I don't know, but they do it. Right? Think about how you dress. Do you dress overly sensual? Do you dress in a way that cause men or women to want to take a second look? Think about what you watch. Are you watching things that you shouldn't be watching? Engaging in things you shouldn't be engaging? Think about things that you fantasize about. Where do you spend your mind on, dwelling on, fantasizing about? Is it sensual? Peter says, bury those bones. Get rid of those bones. Keep them dead. Drunkenness. Drunkenness, the kind which lowers you and is a nuisance to others. One of the most embarrassing moments in my life was, it was a Thanksgiving. I was a young high school kid. And they, they had champagne. My, I don't know, for some reason, my mom and her husband decided to have some champagne for Thanksgiving. I said, first time ever, I said, ooh, this is good champagne. I like it. And so I had a glass. And I didn't know this about champagne, but after things happen to you. And it happened rather quick-like, too. And, and all of a sudden, I, I just thought it tasted good. And then before you know it, I'm doing things that lower me. I'm doing things that I shouldn't have done. In fact, I get so lower, I end up putting my face where my bottom should go. If you know what I mean. I end up, I end up at the throne, and, and I'm doing, putting my face where my face should never be in that throne, in that toilet. Because it lowered me. And the things I remember about that day, the things I said were horrible. Because I chose to be drunk. I chose to be stupid. And if you've ever been drunk and if you've ever been stupid, you know what this means. Church, you need to bury that. Get rid of being drunk. That's calling of you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Idolatry. Trusting in something else other than God to provide hope, joy, and peace. The Bible says that idolatry is a lie. Anytime you look at something other than Jesus to provide you peace, you're falling victim to idolatry. You're giving in to the hope that maybe the lottery will provide for me. Maybe that new job will provide for me that peace. Maybe that new relationship, maybe that a relationship will provide for me. Maybe maybe the good news from the doctor will provide peace. Maybe maybe good news from the tests will provide me peace and security. Trusting in idolatry. Don't trust in other I you with peace and hope and joy. Your old enemy is dead. Your old enemy is defeated, destroyed. Don't open up the grave. I love this verse. I'm talking about Lazarus, but I love the point. It says, oh, he smells terrible, right? Lazarus has been dead for four days. It smells terrible. That's what it smells like when we, as brothers and sisters, we have come to the table. That's what it smells like when we dig up our old sins and we put them back out for to indulge in. Sensuality. Lust, drunkenness, idolatry, it stinks. And that's not where Christian brothers and sisters should, we should engage. That's not what we should do. And so Peter says, get rid of those things. You're going to have an impact on your culture. You're going to have an impact on your community. So there's a second weapon that you need to do. The second attitude is you need to commit to fully living your new life in Christ. You need to commit to fully living your new life in Christ. How do you do that? These are three practices. Three practices that will give you life. Here they are. First one 
is you need to love each other deeply. You need to commit to loving each other differently. And, and I would say that all of us in the room are not identical twins, correct? we got two sets of identical twins in here. They aren't related, by the way, but we got two sets that I know of, but exactly like the other person, right? We're not exactly like anybody else in this room. Let me introduce you to this. There's, on your, your left, there's a beluga whale, and on your right, there is a narwhal. Right, Matthew? A narwhal. And in the river of the St. Lawrence River, over the past three years, there's been an unusual sight. The narwhal has been swimming in the river where it shouldn't be, and it's been hanging out with some beluga whales. And the narwhal, they think, got lost from its pod and wandered around and, and lonely and lonely and found a pod of beluga whales. And now the narwhal is part of the beluga whale pod. And I'm sometimes wondering if the beluga whale pod has that big unicorn thing out of his nose. And if the, and the Norwal is playing with the belugas, the belugas get poked every now and then in the side. Boom! Hey! Hey! And so what this is saying is that there are two different, completely different animals. They've combined to have a relationship with one another. They, they, they're befriended one another. And that's a picture of us. You can be the Norwal. I'll be the beluga. I can be the beluga. Or I'll be the Norwal. You be the beluga. But we're different. And instead, we need to love one another deeply. We need to acknowledge our differences and and share and revel in those things that make us unique. Church, you need to do that. You need to find people who are different than you. You need to find people who, who are not. You need to befriend them and you need to share with them. Because when you do, love covers a multitude of sins. Arm yourself with the same attitude. that those people who are different than you and those people who have hurt you Above all, you must love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Let me tell you another story. This is a story about three young boys who were going to a church. And this church had a confessional. And they were in the confessional. And the three young teenage boys, they decided to, to play a practical joke on the archbishop who was doing confessions on that day. And so they decided to go in, and, and it's confession time. Instead of saying, you know, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, um, you know, I stole a piece of candy, they made up some atrocious lies. First boy comes in, and, and he starts to tell lies, he starts to tell fibs about sins that he's committed, that there's no way on earth this young boy could have committed all of them. And the archbishop, he becomes wise to it. He starts to figure it out. And then he listens to the first boy, and he sends him out. And then he listens to the second boy, also confessing sins that, that it's impossible for the boy to have. And the boys are having a great time telling these fibs to the archbishop, thinking it's a hoot. And finally, the third boy comes in, and, and he tells his story, and he, and he starts saying all kinds of things that, that aren't true, impossible to do. And, and the archbishop is clean, and, and he's keen on this stuff. And so the archbishop says... To the young boy, okay, your confession's done. I want you to do this. Now, this is what you got to do, and you know what the rule is. So what you do is normally the the in this case, the archbishop would assign you some prayers to pray at the front of the church. You pray that, and then you go, and you're supposed to do that for the rest of the week. So the archbishop says to this young boy, he says, "You, I want you to go to the front of the church, and I want you to look at the crucifix that was hanging in this Catholic church. I want you to look at the crucifix, and I want you to say this." He says, "I want you to say." You did all of this for me, and I don't care that much. So the young boy gets out of the confessional, and he walks up to the front of the church, and he sees the crucifix picture, and he says, You did all of this for me, and I don't care very much. And then he says, This for me, and he sees his Savior dying on the cross, 
and I don't care very much. And then he says, and you. And the young boy breaks down weeping and crying because he realizes that he's been forgiven so much. He realizes that God suffered and died for him. That young boy grows up to be a man. He grows up to be a great commentator. He grows up to be an excellent leader and writer. We know him as N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright. From playing a practical joke to being transformed because God loved him so much that God was willing to die for his sin. He was willing to forgive this kid for all of the stupid things that he's done. Are you willing to forgive your friends if you love them that much? For God so loved us that he forgave us. If you love much, you will forgive much. Are you willing to forgive your friends and those to love to forgive them? Second one is you need to be generous towards strangers. Be generous towards strangers. Show the gift of hospitality. Hospitality really is a gift that you give to a stranger. One of the things I think that is a shame about the Christian church is, at least the Christian church that I know, is that it is not very hospitable. It's not a place where a stranger comes in in the afternoon. A stranger, you, you don't open up our, your house and you invite them to dinner during the week. And it's a, it's a shame because there are other cultures that do it so much better. Other religions that really demand that you become hospitable. May the Christian church become more hospitable to the strangers than other religions ask of them. This is from a book from a lady named Rosaria Butterfield. She wrote a book called Openness Unhindered. I'm going to quote from the book. It says, Don't let pride stop you from opening your home. Ignore the cat hair on the couch or the dog hair underneath it. It likely won't kill anyone as long. When making a meal, if you need to, add water to the pot to stretch the soup. If you run out of food, make pancakes. You think you have to have this big giant roast beef. You're there just for community. Know that someone might be spared from another humiliating fall into internet pornography because he or she is spending their time with you and your family and your cats and your dogs instead of at home alone. As you share the day with them, it gives them a way of escape. Profound, isn't it? Know that someone is spared the fear and darkness of depression because he or she in the community of family where his or her place and presence at the table is needed necessary, and looked upon. Know that someone is drawn into Christ's family because the prayer, the Christian conversation, and the love expressed at your table was shared by the lost, the least, and the lonely. Know that the host and the guests are equally precious and fragile. Know that you will play both roles throughout the course of your life. The doors of hospitality Open wide the ministry of Christ. Let me ask you this question. How many strangers in the last month? How many people have you invited over that you have given the gift of a way of escape from a sin, from a, from a struggle? How many ways have you loved the least, the lost, and the lonely? Are you prepared to open your house and to ignore the cat hair and the dog hair? and to stretch the soup, or to make pancakes. 
Church, we need to work on being hospitable. Third thing, third weapon that we arm ourselves with is arm yourself with the ability to serve one another. He says, arm yourself with the same attitude. Each of you should use whatever gift you as a faithful steward of God's grace in various forms. You've heard it over and over again that we as a church, the Bible teaches that you have been given various gifts. Each one of you have been given a gift by God. At least one. Each one of you are going to be accountable to that gift. Each one of you need to use it to build up and serve the body of Christ. That is why you've been given it. And Peter says you need to arm yourself with the attitude of service. And so this pastor of a church, he wrote this little doxology that he says at the end of all of his services. And the doxology goes like this. It says, wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right. Christ, who indwells you by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants you to do something in and through you today. Do you believe that? Do you utterly believe that Christ wants to do something in and of you today, this afternoon, and this evening? Believe this and go in his grace, his love, his power, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I have one final admonition to you. If anyone speaks, they should speak the very words of God. So my question for you today is, were you listening to God? Were you paying attention? Did you allow him to speak to you today? In the miraculous magic of this moment, the Holy Spirit has taken the faulty words of this frail and broken vessel and he has delivered them unto you. He has given you three things to avoid and three things to do. And now you get to figure out whether or not you're going to obey the very words of God. Each one who speak as the very words of God, if they serve, they should do so with the strength of God. And so my challenge for you today is were you listening? Were you paying attention? Were you on you ignoring the moment? Are you going to practice those three things? Serving one another, loving one another, showing hospitality to somebody. Or are you going to ignore it as just another Sunday that walked on by? Oh, that's somebody else's job. No, it's not. It's your job. Be hospitable towards one another. Love people who are different. Norwals, belugas, serve, build the body up. Those are the positives. Are you going to avoid sensuality? Are you going to avoid drunkenness? And are you going to avoid, what was the third one? Idolatry. Get rid of those things. Three things to do, three things to get rid of. And live with those who are in life. Good message from God the Father to you through this broken vessel named Paul. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the weight of your word. I pray, Lord, that the hearts were receptive. And they didn't, Lord, that the church heard it, they accepted it, they received it as being from you. And Lord, as you spoke conviction into their life, Lord, now give them strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to obey what you have told them to do, to walk in a manner worthy of you, in these areas. In your precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen.